Hello from sunny Austin, Texas, and welcome to the Healthcare Soothsayer podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Bonnie Clipper, and yes, I'm a nurse. I have worked for more than 30 years as a nurse, chief nurse executive, innovation strategist, and speaker. I have taken the message of Nursing Innovation International and look forward to continuing this message to transform health. This podcast will bring you thought leaders and ideas that you may not have otherwise heard from. Enjoy the show. Today with me, I have Reggie Stover, a global executive human resource leader, and he has a fantastic rich history in a variety of different industries. And he's going to add his expertise to some really pretty cool questions today. Reggie, thanks for being with me here today. Well, Bonnie, thank you so much for having me. And I was hoping that maybe we could talk a little bit about the space that you're in and what you see around the next corner. And specifically, I would love to get your take on where you see us going with employee experience and maybe even zeroing in on your expertise in the healthcare industry. Absolutely. So being a, a HR professional, of course, I like to touch or speak about the people side of things as it relates to healthcare, as well as provide insights into what's needed for healthcare in general. Today, I think I'll concentrate obviously on the people or the employee side of things as it relates to the employee experience. And just a quick couple of quick facts, Bonnie. First and foremost, healthcare in general lags behind other industries as it relates to the people side of things. One thing we know for sure is there is a demand for healthcare jobs in the healthcare industry. For example, it's expected that uh, about a 14% increase over the next 10 years or nearly 2 million people will be in demand for healthcare jobs. So demand for healthcare roles is certainly around the corner. Um, then there's also, this is a candidate driven market. Uh, the unemployment rate is still relatively low, not as low as uh, possibly, you know, as 1969 when it was like 3.5%. Unemployment rate right now is roughly about 6.7%. So because it's a candidate-driven market, we're lower in employment, retiring baby boomers, and a higher competition to attract, identify, and onboard top talent, that's something that's around the corner or I should say that's literally looking at healthcare right now. And then the, the other two quick facts is workforce mobility. That's a challenge for healthcare and in most industries due to the fact that uh, no one is staying with an employer now for 10, 20, or 30 years. It's just no longer the norm. Employees have no problem changing jobs if a better opportunity comes along. So that's something that healthcare is going to have to contend with as well. And then lastly, the growing skills gap. The skills gaps are really affecting many organizations in all industries. However, in healthcare, where having the right skills can mean the difference between life and death, it's critical, literally. Uh, the Bureau of Labor Statistics reports like 50% of nurses are set to retire. Additionally, there are reports in the US which indicate that there's gonna be a doctor shortage of more than 100,000 people, or I should say 100,000 doctors by the year 2030. So nurses retiring, doctor shortages, 
workforce mobility, um, the demand for healthcare jobs, all these things are, are, are must think abouts, if you will. You know, I love where you're going with this because to me, this is the perfectly ripe opportunity for disruption and then the transformation that comes on its heels. Particularly, you know, as a nurse myself, Reggie, I'm, I'm very um, close to the nursing shortage that we've talked about for well over 20 years, and we see that continuing to grow. What do you think from the overall employee perspective? It's, it's clear that even within nursing, there are many functions that we perform that could be given over to technology. Now, that does not mean that every nurse will be replaced by a robot, but certainly it allows us to change how we utilize nurses, the function that we have them in, the tasks and activities and the critical thinking that they do. How do you see technology disrupting what is today's need and vacant positions? How do you see this sort of changing over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? That's an excellent question, Bonnie. And I really, truly do see technology being a major disruptor in the form of what we're calling AI or artificial intelligence. I do still think it is critical to have nurses at the bedside because there is no replacement for the human touch and the human interaction to be able to truly look someone in the eye and get a feel for their pain level, um, get a feel for their emotional state of mind. So that that's kind of hard to replace. So I, I certainly think the nurses are critical to have at the bedside, but artificial intelligence is certainly going to impact the healthcare industry. Um, a couple of things, uh, digital health is uh, certainly a technology piece that's going to impact healthcare. Uh, you know, resources that engage patients in their lived environments and uh, speak to their everyday experiences. Um, then there's telemedicine or telehealth, which is a disruptor. Um, obviously, with COVID-19, people have come become or had to become much more comfortable communicating with their doctors or uh, caregivers or providers via Zoom. So telemedicine and telehealth has really sped up the whole process of utilizing distant technology. And then lastly, this the whole, the comprehensive health piece um, in terms of how that's being looked at. And that's a, that's a place where I think, you know, you can't necessarily replace that human being, meaning a nurse at the bedside when it comes to the whole, the whole person being present or in the moment, or, or, you know, again, they're at the bedside, I hate to be redundant, really is irreplaceable. So I, I think in summary, technology is going to be a major disruptor, certainly in, the, in a couple of areas that I, that I named and, and some that I didn't. For example, the uh, surgery, technology is doing surgery um, in some cases and doing surgery long distance, but there's no replacing the nurse at the bedside. But yet and still, um, it's going to be a major, a major competitor, uh, AI versus the actual nurse at the bedside. You know, I, I think you bring up, again, some more really um, strong points here. And, and I think we are really going to have to rethink 
how we use professionals and in what roles we have them in, it seems to me that in addition to um, the nursing shortage, there is a pretty significant shortage right now of CNAs, PCTs, you know, monitor techs, unit clerks, support staff, reception people, all of all of those as well. And it's going to be really interesting in terms of not only the technologic disruption, but how do we recruit and retain the best individuals in these jobs as we go through um, kind of the, the disruption and transformation process? What do you think about that challenge? Well, you set me up very well here, Bonnie, that th- those are the types of things that, that I really love hitting on. And before I go there, I'm going to touch on a couple of things that are significantly impacting the nurses, some doctors, and even some non-clinical roles. And those things are one you name, obviously staffing shortages. Those staffing shortages are due to a couple of things, Bonnie. One, they're due to skills gaps. Um, Even in the non-clinical roles, uh, the people, some people just don't have the skills necessary required to bring into the healthcare environment. Again, we're talking life and death. Then there's the increase in turnover rates in the healthcare field. The increase in turnover rates in the healthcare field are caused by a couple of things. I hate to say it, but it's just a, a, just a fact that's stress on the healthcare side and burnout, especially with our nurses and our physicians. Not as common in some of the non-clinical roles, but the stress and the burnout is very, very real as it relates to our physicians and our nurses. Now, to directly answer your question, how do we get around that? I, I, I really think it's possible to do that. I really do. And we do that in the healthcare the same way we do it in most organizations. And that is with a strong EVP. And I'm not talking about the executive vice president. I'm talking about a strong employer value proposition. A strong employer value proposition is what makes your organization unique and what should make potential employees come to work at your organization. An employee value proposition should align with your company goals and the workplace culture. And once established, should be consistent with everything you do from job postings to the recruitment process. At the end of the day, a strong employee value proposition should not only outline why I should come to work at your organization, but should also be able to outline why I should stay working at your organization and build my career. To close this out, The things that really attract employees are competitive pay, opportunities for growth and development, a fun place to work or environment, obviously a strong brand, and more and more employees or potential employees coming to your organization, Bonnie, they want to know if the organization is diversity, equity, and inclusive type of an organization. Um, Those things are, with with a strong employee value proposition, are how you attract employees to your organization. Well, and that's music to my ears, right? Because I hear you saying culture, culture, culture. And that's 
incredibly important. And having your values etched into glass on the front entry hall does not make an organization live, walk, and talk their values, right? And it's interesting to me because spending time around um, younger nurses, particularly, you know, Gen Z nurses or kind of the um, younger, uh, last, last of the millennials, you know, I would say it's fascinating because these groups vote with their feet. So if they don't like something you say, you do a policy change, it doesn't matter. If you tick them off, they just leave because they know they're of value and they can find a job anywhere. They don't subscribe to the job hopper on the resume kind of thought process. So it completely changes the dynamics. You are absolutely correct. I mean, we, we have what five generations in the workplace today, which is uh, totally, totally different for everyone who is a leader, employee manager, what have you. In the workplace today, and and I and I mentioned it early when I talked about the workforce mobility, basically consistent with what you're saying. People don't have a problem leaving organizations today. They're not staying ten years, which is really a short time, or or in some cases five years, which is a very short time um, in the workplace today. And that's all the more reason why you have to have a very strong employee value proposition. Again, all the reasons why I come to work for you, um, good benefits, good pay, opportunity to learn and grow and develop, a career path. I can see myself, or I, I'm sorry, I see people that look like me working in your workplace. That could be uh, from a, a gender standpoint, ethnicity standpoint, sexual orientation standpoint. Diversity, equity, and inclusion certainly matters as well as the type of culture that you're driving, which you hit on, Bonnie. Is it, is it a culture that, that really screams employee satisfaction, employee engagement? And more importantly, and I haven't touched on, it's, it's critical that the leader of these uh, five different generations in the workforce can relate to the employees on all different levels, the baby boomers, the generation Xers, the generation Ys, the millennials, the generation Zs, and, and maybe you won't even throw in there the traditionalists, those that were born before 1946. So do you have the leadership skills to interact, communicate, influence, um, motivate those people in the workforce? Well, and you know what's so important about that is that as we work these different generations sort of through the various cycles, it isn't as though we can recycle those that are at the top end age-wise. They don't go back to square one and begin their careers again. So it's a pipeline. And as we work these, you know, millennials, these Gen Seers through it, they will become the leaders uh, out of necessity because there aren't generations behind them yet that will pick that up. There was a fascinating study just last week that was released and it did a 10,500 nurse sample. It was a pulse survey. And essentially what they learned is that 18% of nurses plan to leave the bedside to leave direct provision of patient care in the next year. And 4% plan to leave nursing altogether. 
So for me, when I think about numbers like that, you know, that's 22%. That's a pretty big number. That's one out of five, which is yet going to contribute to where we are in this sort of shortage world. How do you see healthcare organizations, hospitals, maybe even universities or community colleges? What are the things that we can do to start to turn this around and find ourselves with a plethora of candidates that are trained and competent and skilled and interested in these kind of roles? Man, that is a that is a beautiful question and so much to unpack there. But in, in its most simplistic form, we have to begin to educate and get our youth interested sooner, quicker in healthcare careers. And Bonnie, that may mean, believe it or not, getting to them in elementary school, middle school, by the time they get to high school, they certainly have a a strong interest in healthcare related fields, especially the nursing. Again, we talked about it. You can't replace the nurses at the bedside. Certainly technology can do some fantastic things, can do surgery. We can talk to physicians long distance, digital health, all those things. However, it is still going to be critical to have that nurse at the bedside. To get people involved in wanting to be nurses and uh, interested in roles in healthcare, we have to get to them very, very early. I want to, I don't want to belabor the point, but I, I quickly, when I was at GE uh, some time ago, well before I got into a healthcare career, um, GE had partnerships with the local high schools in the uh, area that I was working. We had the job shadowing. We brought students in. We mentored at the high school and junior high school level. Those are the type of things that you have to do. When I say mentor, I'm also talking about getting them interested in various different types of careers. Obviously, in this case, we're talking healthcare. So long story short, you have to get the youth involved early and often in or interested early and often in terms of healthcare related careers or fields. Yeah, and I think you are 100% spot on. In 2000, I actually started a program in Austin for middle school kids that we brought through our facility to start to introduce them to healthcare and put them through kind of some fun exercises, teach them how to put on sterile gloves and use some mannequins to find body parts and scavenger hunts and things. And I think you're right. It also speaks to the fact that we have an opportunity to really And I hope, Reggie, that community colleges and junior colleges around the country are already working on this, but it feels to me that there's such a a great opportunity to look at maybe blending more of community college kind of work with almost that last year or two of high school, even to make experiences different than they are today. So I hope there's work going on in that space as well. I totally agree with you, Bonnie. There's this saying or quote that goes like this, they'll be what they see. If you are visible in the high schools, in the uh, middle schools, in some of the elementary schools doing career days, I mean, take this thing way back. You know, people used to always go into the elementary schools and do, I remember 
people coming in and talking to us about their careers, firemen, policemen, you know, teachers, doctors. I don't think that happens so much anymore. Um, like it used to, like it used to. So they'll be what they see. If you get to the youngsters, the youth early and often and get them interested in things, talk about how cool it is, um, what a difference maker you can be. I mean, everybody can't be Michael Jordan or, or, or uh, Bill Gates. Um, and I'm just picking out those two, obviously both fantastic in their respective fields. But what I'm getting at is, you know, you can be a doctor, you can be a nurse, we can turn them on to other avenues of positions that they can take in healthcare. And Bonnie, I also want to say there's many other positions that are very critical to healthcare that are non-clinical. I mean, medical administrative assistance, parking attendants and valets, billing, triage, information desk, schedulers, uh, medical billers, coders, transcriptionists, receptionists. These are all very important roles to the healthcare field. Yeah, I you know, you've given us a lot to think about here and what I what I'm taking away is that really in order for us to have the to make the employee experience a good one, we need to continue to focus on culture building and we also need to help people develop the skills and competencies and expertise necessary so that they can be successful in whatever those roles look like. Oh, Bonnie, you are hitting on all cylinders. And here's one thing I would like to, to say. I, I've always said a great employee experience provides a great patient experience. You know, Bonnie, before a patient sees a doctor and many times before they see a nurse, they will interact with a non-clinical or non-healthcare provider first. This interaction can determine their patient experience regardless of the medical outcome. So it's important what you just mentioned that a great employee experience through culture building, through opportunities for growth and development, through competitive pay, through learning opportunities to go back to school and get degrees. Uh, like you said earlier, screaming culture. That drives a great, a great employee experience and also as a pathway to a great employee value proposition. So again, everything you're saying is spot on. You know, it feels like we just came complete circle here, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Well, thanks so much, Reggie. I've enjoyed spending my time with you today immensely. I've learned a lot and I really appreciate your perspective and, and your knowledge. So thank you again. Well, Bonnie, thank you very much. It was certainly my pleasure. And I'm sure you probably probably can tell I'm very passionate about the people proposition or the employee side of things, especially when it comes to uh, the healthcare side, when again, it's, it's life and death. That's awesome. And Reggie, where can people find you on social media? Oh, absolutely. So I'm on LinkedIn at Reginald Stover. Uh, you can certainly find me on LinkedIn. And I am also on Twitter at B-I-F-D, the number four hoop. That's B as in boy, I-F-D, the number four hoop on Twitter. Any reference to basketball? <laughs> Funny you should ask. Yes, uh, I actually played basketball at the University of Cincinnati and I have two kids, two college athletes, a son and a daughter. 
who play, and then I have a daughter who's a junior. She plays, so it it it's a little weird that it doesn't coincide with my professional side in terms of HR. But uh, I I started my Twitter uh, a long time ago when when my son Devin was probably uh, just beginning to play basketball, and and I came up with that handle. So uh, it's working, um, and I, it's I actually, awesome. I actually do a lot of uh, communicating of HR stuff on it. So thank you so much, Bonnie. Totally cool. Well, thanks again. Appreciate your time, Reggie. And thank you for listening. And be sure to use innovation to your advantage. Thanks so much for listening to Healthcare Soothsayers. I really do appreciate it. If you liked what you heard, please rate, review, and share it with your network. That is how we grow and learn. If you have ideas for show topics or guests, please reach out to me directly at ThoughtLeaderRN on Twitter. For information about this show or any of the others in the Touchpoint Media Network, please check them out at touchpoint.health. 